Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. basketball fans a deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court or in this case on the free agency wires to the sport at large my name is nolan cope and here is my co-host riley gaucher what's up mr cope how are we feeling? I'm, I'm very excited to be back on a more regular schedule, and I'm, I'm looking forward to keeping our, our podcast going. Yeah, thir- third week in a row, and we picked a great time to be back with this uh, condensed uh, schedule of the past year. It gave us the NBA Finals. It gave us the NBA Draft and the beginning of free agency all in the span of three weeks and maybe even a little bit less. And so we are going to be here today to talk a little bit about some greater uh, connections between those three things, between the NBA playoffs, the draft, and free agency. But before we do that, we wanted to use our shoot-around today to uh, go in on some of the notable teams of the draft and free agency. Last time we talked, we talked about what teams should be looking for in the draft. Then some teams went and took our advice. Some teams didn't. And then the, all of their master plans or lack thereof were revealed in free agency. Now, Riley, uh, me, like many other NBA fans in this time, were... Uh, Wondering throughout the draft and a little bit of the time after that, what are the Warriors doing? As our as our resident Warriors fan, Riley, tell walk walk me through what what's the plan here? What's the vision? Sure. Um, the best way to summarize it is that Joe Lakeup is one of the cockiest individuals, um, and I say that in both a derogatory way and also in you know, a way of, of signifying admiration, right? He has supreme confidence and he wants to have his cake and eat it too in all kind of facets of, of life. Um, and sometimes that bluster and that ego gets him a little bit in trouble when he, especially with Warriors Twitter, who have gone from worshiping at his altar. Well, so originally, you know, they, they, they hated the guts for trading Monte Ellis fan favorite for a perpetually injured Andrew Bogut, which turned out to be really a, you know, post-Steph awakening, really to be the, the turning point in the, the rise of the Warriors and shifting of the, the whole organization's identity. Um, so then, you know, they were, they were really disappointed with him. Then there were a couple of years where he proclaimed them light years ahead as an organization and the fans were fully on board. They had just signed Kevin Durant. They were bringing in amazing uh, role players like Dave West, you know, who, who turned out to be a perfect fit. They, they had uh, Sean Lindy, Andre Agala, these guys really, you know, just made the system that their coach wanted to run. 
work at a, a very high level and there seemed to be this real great synergy between all levels of the, the organization, whether it was coaching, front office, ownership, they were all working on the same page. And then recently uh, there started to be some, some friction, you know, mostly driven by the, the poor injury luck, right? Like that's what we've seen with Steph and Clay and, and that's where it's been a more difficult road last few years. And Lakeup, to bring this all back to the present day, he really believes that they can win and they can develop. They can draft a James Wiseman, who is clearly extremely talented and, and very projectable, but so raw and, and not at all a winning player at this moment. And they can draft a Jonathan Kaminga um, with the seventh overall pick this year and think that somehow, some way, that, that youth movement, the Jordan Pools, other other guys, plus these core veterans of uh, Draymond, Steph, and Clay, that can somehow become a winning formula to, to win a championship and still compete and maximize the, the window of the greatest player the Warriors will ever have, probably. So that's all a very long history to, to say that right now the Warriors are trying to do two things at once that are usually pretty, uh, pretty competitive, pretty, pretty set against each other, right? It's really hard in the NBA to acquire talent, to grow that talent, to give them enough minutes and touches and the right developmental situation in order for that talent to flourish and also compete the very highest levels, which is something that this team, it's, it's bones, it's skeleton has done previously. And, and the, the people involved, whether it's the players, the ownership, like are right to think that that is their destiny. That is what they should be doing with this caliber of, of players. So does that kind of answer your question? They're, they're probably biting off more than they can chew. Um, they've made some good free agency signings, I think, and Autopoyo Jr. and Nemanja Bielitsa, who are not big names, but do actually fit what the team is looking for. And at the same time, Lakeup's willingness to spend for the last couple of years, you know, having the highest tax bill in history, is starting to reach the limits of what he's comfortable with. And that's where some friction and where the, the fans have turned on him a little bit is, right, he's talked this big game about spending whatever it takes, and then you realize he means that, but only to a certain point. Like there's a, there's a line, whether it's $300 million a year or something, that he's not willing to go. And so he's made some cost-cutting measures and, and not spent every single penny that's possible. And so all of that is starting to be in conflict. That's the word I was thinking earlier, in conflict with stated goals and, and aspirations of this team. So do you, as a dedicated Warriors fan, believe in what they're doing right now? That's a really great question. Um, in some ways, I would say yes, I have more faith than um, some of the most vocal people on Warriors Twitter, uh, who we reference often on this podcast. You know, they, they've kind of accused the front office of being completely incompetent, or at least uh, riding on the coattails of previous success and not as good as the crack that to be. I think they've been dealt some poor hands and, and have made respectable choices in a lot of the situations. I would prefer that they had traded the most recent picks and maybe even Wiseman to, to get better talent because I do think it's important to maximize your chances of winning a title right now. I would like to see that that, you know, be the priority. And at the same time, I understand that there haven't been good opportunities out there, right? There haven't been players, Bradley Beal, you know, Damian Lillard, not that I would have really loved his fit there. Like those level of players who the Warriors counted on wanting out and, and, trading on these assets to get just haven't haven't been there it's not been possible and so 
that win now move doesn't seem to exist. And so I don't blame them necessarily for taking the highest upside guy, which is what we talked about last week, right? They swang for the fences, swung, swang. Yeah, I don't know what the right uh, tense of that verb is, but they they shot shot for the moon basically with with uh, a huge wing. He's got some talent, and I I as much as I really wanted some more sure bets, I respected that. And then they got a guy Moses Moody, who I think projects to be a little bit more of a help this current season and and a more more bankable kind of piece if if not the same level of star potential and so i thought that was okay you know i it's a mixed bag right what what have you thought about what they've done and and where would you see this team go if if you had a a vote in the matter yeah so i i think one of the most important points that you just made is that the warriors would have packaged all of these picks and wiseman maybe even Jordan Poole as well for an undeniable all NBA talent. If there had been an all NBA talent available, there wasn't. And they're not trying to go out there and get a non-shooter in Ben Simmons. There can only be one Draymond green style player on the court at one time. And Draymond has a cerebral edge that Ben Simmons will never have. Uh, However, I want to push back on what, people perceive as the Warriors, people are perceiving what the Warriors are doing right now as binary options. Either A, they try to win titles around their current uh, trio of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, or B, they do a youth movement. It is one or the other. Now, I don't think that's true. And I don't think that's true because of the team that Lacob and Myers aspired to be over this entire decade, which was the 20-year run of the San Antonio Spurs. The Golden State did not have the same early start to championship contention in Steph's career that the Spurs had with Tim Duncan. However, what the Spurs did is they had a big three of talented players who, uh, they, who aged gracefully into their 30s and then By the time that that core was done winning championships on star power alone, they were able to build up their next generation, Patty Mills, Kawhi Leonard, to get them back into a place of contention. And they made back-to-back finals with Tim Duncan at age, I believe, 35 and 36. So I don't think that this core is done. I think that uh, what the Warriors are hoping to do, it's ballsy. It's gutsy. Right, There's no guarantee that this is going to work at all. But if you give Wiseman and Kaminga and Moody the next three years to turn themselves into budding all-stars, not even all-stars yet, I think all of a sudden you now have six or seven high-level rotation guys on your team. And that's a big, a big jump that uh, the Warriors are, are making, a, a leap of faith. But it could work out. There's a path there. So for everyone out there who sees either uh, one, they can compete now, or two, they can compete later as being the only two options, I'm going to push back on that. Totally. So uh, my response to that is, is, Nolan, is your last name secretly Laco? Because you sound quite a lot like Joey Lightyear's as, as some professional like call him. And I, I respect that, and I... I I see what you're saying and I agree. And I also want to apologize for our listeners that we spent so long on this particular topic, but I just want to, I want to push back a little bit because 
you're right. It's not binary. It is possible to do both. And I think the Spurs are the perfect example. The problem is that the Spurs development system, right, turning Kawhi from really, you know, a quite solid player at San Diego State. Um, shout out to, to Owen and our San Diego fans. But, you know, not someone who people thought, oh, this is the star. You know, the Spurs were the only one who really saw that, who drafted or traded for him from the Pacers, right, and, and fixed his shot, Chip England, like, to do the job there and saw this, this trajectory for him that nobody else did. They hit on, like you said, um, Manu and all these other guys, like, super late in the lottery or sorry, it's too late in the first round, even the second round. And the Warriors have done an okay job there. I just don't know that they've had that, that peak, right? Like they, they found a gem in Eric Paschal who made all rookie first team and then just traded him away today uh, for cap space and, and roster flexibility because he wasn't quite as good as everyone thought he might be. You know, he's kind of older and whatnot. And so I think it, you're right. It's not binary, but the, the problem is the more you lean one way or the other, the harder it gets to do both. I think the, the more you have young players, there's not been a rookie who's played in the finals, I think the last seven or eight years in, in meaningful minutes, right? There's not been somebody who's contributed to winning the finals on a rookie, you know, as a rookie player. And so the same thing is good, right? When the ball's in Steph's hands or the ball's in Draymond's hands, because that's the thing that's going to win you regular season games, it makes it hard for Wiseman to get the reps and fail as much as he needs to, as we tried as he do last year. So I think they're threading a needle and I'll be super excited if they're able to do it. Um, I think you're right. I think it's possible. I just, it's damn hard. And so we'll see, we'll see if they've got the brains and, and the, the patience and, and the, the resources to, to make good on the promises and, and the, the big talk they've, they've had. Yeah. So, so transitioning on, unless you've got a final point there, there are some other teams that you want to talk about. There are some other teams you wanted to talk about. And one of the teams that has been blowing up at NBA Twitter over uh, the last few days and uh, featured heavily on podcasts, an article written by uh, my uh, one of my favorite humans on the planet, Kevin O'Connor, uh, on The Ringer, about the Chicago Bulls. And their uh, free agency uh, exploits. Now, Briley, I'm going to make a on-the-record prediction about the Chicago Bulls and their uh, what I expect from them this season. I think that the Chicago I Bulls. I am so excited. Let the record show. Let the record show that Nolan Cope believes that the Chicago Bulls will be the best nine seed in the Eastern Conference this year. Well, there can only be one nine seed in the Eastern Conference, but your, your joke and your point uh, remain. I'm, I'm underwhelmed. I, like, I, I, I believe that what they are doing in terms of team building on paper in a vacuum makes total sense. They developed an all-star. Last year at the trade deadline, they made a deal for another all-star, getting trading away some of their younger pieces. And then this year in free agency, they added a, a playmaking, scoring a veteran and two young defensive guys who can shoot from outside and uh, move the ball around. So they, they now, I believe, have at least 
six or seven or eight guys who would absolutely be rotation players uh, on a team that begins to find some amount of success. But when you take that out of a vacuum and you look at what Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic did together last year, the offense was not great and the defense was really bad. Now you're adding... Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not sure that anybody who expected something different was really looking at the situation, honestly, right? Yeah. And now you add DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball uh, to uh, the starting five. That includes a young piece in Patrick Williams, who I actually uh, am a big fan of. But none of those five guys have proven that they can be uh, guys who lead a team to the playoffs. The only one out of them who has any experience doing that in the last two or three seasons is Nikola Vucevic, whose Orlando Magic teams uh, were really good at winning the first game of the eight through one matchup and then losing the next four. So I, I like that the Bulls are being aggressive. They're trying to build around their guy. They're doing all of a lot of the team building practices that I believe in, but this, the X's and O's, the specific guys they're bringing in, I don't believe in them. What do you think? Um, yeah, so I, I, I tend to agree with you um, on a lot of this. I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the balded mamba, the balded goat, um, Alex Caruso, as another addition, who I think, you know, I was surprised at the amount of money he got, but I think it's not an overpay rate. Like he and Lonzo are both young. And that's the, that's the one thing that I liked about part of their off season, right. Is they, they were paying for guys who are probably on an upward trajectory, or at least really could have to grow and, 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 you know, will reach the peak of their aging curves with this team, as opposed to a guy like DeRozan or Vucevic who are clearly past their point. Um, this kind of gets into what I want to talk about as, as a whole, you know, with our main point later today is I just think they went all in with a guy, you know, around a guy, Zach Levine, who I don't think his ceiling is high enough to really be worth it, right? Like, I think it's one of those things where I, I've liked a lot of the pieces. I like Patrick Williams, too. I like, I mean, I even liked Lori Markkinen for a while. It's clear that he's not become the kind of player that people were really hoping he would be. Um, you know, they've had they've had some interesting pieces, but your point about them being a nice seed, it feels right, right? I just, even if they do make the playoffs, like, what's the ceiling on this team? maybe the second round, maybe. And that's if things all go well. And I just, you know, adding DeRozan feels superfluous too. Um, I've been pretty down on him as a winning player, you know, not as a, not as a guy who's able to, to impact the game, but not necessarily in a winning way for quite a long time. Right. And I think that, that choice, you know, and, and, and the decision to spend money, it just, it feels to me premature. It feels like they, they, took off too early, right? Like they, they looked at their timeline and they looked at the, the player that they thought they had in Levine. And he really did take a jump last year. But like you said, the defense is not that good. And we know that, that you have to be competent on both ends of the floor to really have a shot to do anything. And so I'm fully with you. I, I like the splash and I, I like that they got some young guys who I think are undervalued necessarily, but I don't know where it's going to go or, or how far they can really tape them. For the record, I actually really like DeRozan and still believe in him as a a winning player uh, in in the NBA right now. Really? I, uh, yeah. You want to have us debate them? 
I, I, w- I was really hoping he would end up on a team that could actually utilize the skill set that he has, because in my mind, he is kind of the perfect small ball four for the yeah. NBA right now. That's fair. That's fair. He, uh, he's, a, he's a guy that like will not go stand in the post to clutter up your pick and roll in your center with, with your, your center and your point guard. He's a guy that uh, can make plays off the bounce, who's improved on his playmaking in uh, San Antonio and is still one of the best mid-range isolation scorers in the league. The only isolation scorers better than him last year were Steph and James Harden the two most proficient one-on-one players in the NBA, this side of uh, Kevin Durant. But the numbers say he was even ahead of, of Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson. And so he proved that he could bang around with bigger bodies uh, on defense. And I, I would have loved to see him go to a team, maybe like Portland or maybe like Golden State, maybe Denver, where uh, he could better utilize those skills than what I believe is kind of a, a lost cause here in Chicago. I'm proud of him for getting the bag. Good job, but I w- I'd love to see him in a better, a better spot there. Yeah, I, I can buy some of that argument. I just think it's really tough when you're not, as somebody who's guard size, right? Like I wouldn't really, I, I do like the, you know, the conception of him as a small ball four. But I, I think that, that that hurts you on defense, right? Because I don't think we're expecting him to lock up bigger players or contribute significantly meaningfully to good defense, right? For the station's career especially. Um, and so unless your center is like a, a, a marksman, like he's the, he can be the only one on the floor who can't shoot threes because he, he literally can't and he won't. And I, I respect that he's understood his, le- his weaknesses and, and his limitations and has doubled down on what he's good at because I think that's what gets a lot of other players in trouble, right? Is they're, they're trying to do something they don't do and they don't just focus on what they're strong at. But I think it just puts such a dampening on your construction and the possibilities. Maybe we'll see if, if Vooch is shooting, which is, which is legit, right? It's not, it's not like, Oh, you're, you're definitely terrified, but it's, it's, he's a legit shooter from the five position. Maybe that can work with the two of them in the front court. I'm not convinced. I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, uh, I don't know if we'll get a chance to see what he could have done in the best possible situation here on Chicago, but we're going to transition now into our, our main topic for the day where, Uh, In our episode where we broke down the playoffs, broke down the NBA finals, we mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers a few times. And we've been teasing the the Philadelphia 76ers for like weeks or months at this point, right? Yeah. And so the Philadelphia 76ers have a six foot nine problem. (laughs) On their team, I you were going to say uh, point guard, and I, I really like this description better. Yeah, they, they they have a six foot nine, two hundred twenty pound problem on their team this year. They have a guy who I don't think anyone believes can be successful in the playoffs on the Philadelphia 76ers. with Joel Embiid, who is non movable, non negotiable, and with the expectations of the fan base uh, surrounding him. He, he scored 19 points in the fourth quarter of the last three games uh, of the 
uh, semi-final, uh, at, at the quarterfinal, actually, the, the second round loss that they had to Atlanta. And it was kind of embarrassing for everyone to watch those games. And it raised a lot of questions for what the Philadelphia 76ers were going to do next. And uh, the entire offseason thus far has been pervaded with rumors surrounding a Ben Simmons trade, rumors surrounding what the uh, 76ers are asking for, which is reportedly a incredibly high asking amount. And so we're not going to try to break down the semantics of where Ben Simmons is going to go, what point the process died. Uh, instead, I wanted to say, Riley, what are our, some of our takeaways? What are some of your takeaways uh, from the Ben Simmons in Philadelphia situation? Sure. Um, I think the, the first one is just how incredibly important fit is, but in a different way than we talked about last week, right? It's, it's the fit between your two or three best players, right? If, if there's an overlapping of skills or if there's a glaring hole in the kind of complement of abilities that those franchise cornerstones have, and if it's so significant to the point that it cannot be covered up by bringing in a Seth Curry, you know, literally the best three-point shooter in the league for a couple of years now. Um, maybe not on such high volume and such difficulty as his brother, but but seriously, like a, a threat and somebody who spaces the floor in an almost unparalleled way, right? Like doing that or having a JJ Redick. You know, it, when when it's clear that there's just such a problem in in the way that those two guys' roles and and preferences about how to play especially in the fourth quarter of playoff games, like you mentioned, right? Like when that doesn't work, there's almost nothing you can do to solve it. Um, So that's my first, my first takeaway, right? Is it you need to have a really good complement between your two best players, three best players, right? And, And when you have two people who are probably best with the ball in their hands in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and probably best close to the basket and neither of them is a, above average shooter and and one of them patently refuses, right? Like refuses to even contemplate the notion of taking a three pointer. Joel Embiid has been, has been bricking three pointers in an attempt to create spacing on this team for years now. Right. Right. And it's, and it's, that's not how this should be. Ben's or sorry, Joel Embiid is the best player clearly. Right. And it, it shouldn't necessarily be up to him to change his game and make his game less impactful to accommodate a weak co-star, right? Like we should be building around an MVP candidate and you have one, right? In, in Joel Embiid. And so for them and then for Ben Simmons, right? For his player profile and his, uh, you know, I don't want to belittle or make light of whatever mental kind of block or situation, certainly the pressure that he's under, but for all of that mindset, you know, unwillingness to, to shoot free throws, just, just, being scared of taking shots, like all of that, for that to be the thing that's so hampering and to make the organization focus on that, as opposed to how do we maximize Joel? Because they've got these two guys. I think that's where this whole thing has gone off, off the rails. So uh, uh, the question we're, we're, we're all asking ourselves right now is where is Ben Simmons going to be traded? But 
a better question for the hockey assist to go out in the bigger picture here is uh, clearly what the, the product of the Philadelphia 76ers is broken right now. Where did that go wrong? And what can other teams learn from uh, the 76ers? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great question. I would at some point in this podcast like to get down into semantics because I have a trade proposal that you and I have talked about for quite a while that I think solves, you know, a lot of problems in the NBA. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that. I think to me, this is just a question of especially like waiting too long, right? You know, a couple months ago, uh, or I guess, yeah, it was, it was still technically a couple months ago when Harden was on the block at the beginning of the season. Nobody was saying it was incredulous for the 76ers to be offering Ben Simmons as the main kind of centerpiece in a Harden trade, right? Like that they were seen as clearly not equivalent value, but Simmons is still young. He, he has some good traits, you know, he's not a bum. He, he defends at, at an elite, elite level. And so I think for the, the way the playoffs happened this year, that just, that just totally changed the situation. Right. And so I, I do you have an answer when, like when, when did this, because I think clearly it's, it's, it was a long time ago, but, but at what point I think is what we're really trying to get to. huh? Yeah. So, um, uh, for me, the process, the process, uh, the process of taking the, uh, 76ers from, uh, the bottom of the barrel, uh, franchise continuously drafting at the top of the draft to get them towards uh, championship contention. That arc for me ended three years ago. I, after uh, the playoffs in uh, 20, uh, uh, 2018 and 2019, when they lost uh, in the, Eastern Conference uh, semifinals to uh, the Raptors. I no longer had any belief in what this Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid pairing could look like. Cause that was the first time that we were starting to really get those warning signs of, Oh my God, Ben Simmons. We've seen him now two years in a row choke in the Eastern Conference semifinals. This is a team with championship aspirations. This is a roster that isn't going to be able to get it there. And then when Elton yeah. Brand came in and started trying whirling and dealing to like bring in Tobias Harris and do, do all of these other things, it felt more, they always felt more like band-aids, really expensive band-aids, really aggressive yeah. band-aids, as opposed to, coming in and uh, making that change. And that's, it's really hard for a franchise to go in a certain direction for a few years and then say, okay, we need to aggressively change what we're doing with one of our all NBA cornerstones in Ben Simmons. And Elton Brand was never going to be able to do that. And I was surprised that Daryl Morey didn't do more to do that because that is an exact yeah. Daryl Morey thing to do when, when he took control there for me that. So 
when they lost on that four bouncer to Kawhi and Jimmy Butler left, yeah. you know, and Jimmy Butler said, these guys don't take it seriously. Jimmy Butler said, these guys don't really care about winning to the degree that I would want them to. I think he was talking about Ben Simmons. I think he was talking about Embiid yeah. too a little bit, uh, which is something we'll talk about later. But he was talking about Ben Simmons when he said that and when he left. And that was a, a real nail in the coffin moment and uh, really goes to show oh. that continuing to struggle along with a little bit of uh, a, a short deck, so to speak, is can end up being even more damaging than trying to be aggressive. Teams that have been aggressive over the last few years have been the ones that have benefited with, with the Raptors championship, with the Warriors and Kevin Durant, with the Nets going out and getting their guys, with the Lakers going out and getting their guy. Aggressive of teams who capitalize on situations are the ones that benefit. So the 76ers, they didn't do that. Yeah, and I think there's a really important lesson uh, in there, too, when you were talking about that series and that being a turning point. Because I think people around the 76ers took the wrong lesson from that. They said, we were four bounces away. We were four bounces away from overtime. They were confident they were going to win that game if it had gone to overtime. And, like, I don't necessarily disagree with them, but that's the, the classic example of being results-oriented and, and judging the situation based on the results instead of the process to use a word that's very apt in this situation, right? And so I think them getting to that point, you're, you're totally right. Like it, that should have been a wake-up call because they were so quote-unquote close because they, they almost climbed the mountain and who knows what would have happened versus, uh, you know, the Warriors in that next, that next series, right? Like, I think that's, it's just a situation where they, they took the wrong lesson and there how many teams we've seen this, you know, the Knicks this year, I really hope this doesn't happen. They made a huge jump. Do they, do they think that they're better than they are? And some of the signings that they made kind of seem to, to indicate that, you know, it's a classic, classic story. Um, and, uh, to, to answer the question, you know, that I posed in a more specific thing, I think for me, it's, it's a three-year thing. I would give a team three years to prove to me that things are looking better, that they are trending better, right? That they are the fit, the conception of the whole thing makes sense because it's one thing for something, you know, you to believe that, that things are going to get better and, and, to have seen internal growth, right? To, to have seen progress, to have seen indicators that make you think, yes, this player is changing. Their, their numbers are moving up. Their skills are, are widening. But everyone around the league, everyone who's a fan of the league has been saying, when are they going to trade Ben Simmons for basically three or four years now, right? And there is some wisdom to that general consensus. It can't, if, if it's that obvious to everyone that it's not working and that it's not getting better, right? It's not, it's not, fixing itself or, or, or finding a higher collaboration between those two guys, that's when it's time to pull the plug. And, and, you know, there's the classic quote, I, I can't remember if it was Bill Belichick and somebody else who said, I'd rather trade a guy a year early. Maybe it was Bill Walsh. I think it was Bill Walsh. I'd rather trade a guy a year too early than a year too late. And it's the classic example of, of doing that where they held on to Simmons because they thought, like you said, Elton Brand could paper mache the whole thing together or that, if they got the right role players to work and it just, it, it wasn't, and it didn't. And 
I would apply that to rookies too, right? Like three years is plenty enough time for someone to show me meaningful development. And, right. and for the fit and the, con, the construction of the team to make sense and, and to, to point in a good direction. And we've seen that with the Hawks. I'm not saying that I think they're going to be in Eastern Conference Finals again next year, but clearly what they've got and the star that they have is good enough to take them where they want to go. And they've got the right amount of depth and the right amount of quality around them. And so I think that was a three-year process, right? Where it was, it was you know, bad in some places and people were saying, is Trey Young a winner? And, then he finally got the right amount of development. He got the right amount of, of good quality role players and veterans around him and then things took off. And so I think if they were to, to cut that process a year too short, we might not have seen this run that we got this year. And if they were to cut, if, you know, if it hadn't happened and they hold on too long, that's when people start to have regrets. Yeah. And I, I love that you just brought up the Hawks because we have been celebrating the Hawks team building uh, process all year, we celebrated it at the beginning of the NBA season before they went on their wonderful run. We celebrated it uh, last week when we talked about the draft because fit matters, right? Fit just matters. And I don't think you could rationalize a single other pick than the Ben Simmons pick in the draft uh, in, in 2016. That was the obvious first round pick for them. And after a few years of him not being willing to shoot a three-pointer, that's when you say, okay, we were hoping that he would develop a shot. He did not develop a shot, and we need to fix this now. Because the ideal version of Ben Simmons was never going to come around, especially on a team that had proven over and over that they could not affect the change that they wanted to see in this player so we it sounds like are both very much firmly in the camp of you need to in order to win an nba championship you need to have a large amount of things go right and you need to be aggressive to search those things out and uh the the 76ers like they ain't it they, they are not no. a, a championship team here. They, and they missed their window to get their mo- the most amount of value from Ben Simmons. And that is something that if they can't get him off the books this year is going to put a ceiling on their team for the next two or three years, maybe even the entire Joel Embiid era. Yeah. And I think the thing is they have to get rid of him, right? Like the situation in a, a social manner, right? In a, in a relationship manner is so flawed and so broken at this moment that there's no choice. And that's the real bummer too, because they've lost all the leverage. They, they're no longer holding this asset, this really talented and, and guy leading with potential. They're, they're holding someone whose mentality doesn't work at the biggest stages and whose, whose play style is just so unique in, in really good ways and also in really bad ways that it's so difficult to fit around him. Now, another situation that I'd like to, bring up that kind of parallels this before we jump before we jump into oh, yeah. this this next this next situation uh, on here on the hockey assist we try to avoid hyperbole at all costs right and right now we are just ringing the bell of doom for the philadelphia 76ers so i want to uh, make it known very clear to our listeners that we are not 
overreacting to the Ben Simmons playoff run this year. We are not uh, trying to aggregate headlines or anything by uh, our dramatic takes on Ben Simmons. This is the uh, sort of volcano erupting of built up thoughts and feelings over the course of the last few years. Okay. This is something that has been building. It's not an a feeling that we have just generated over the last month, month and a half, since we saw Ben Simmons pass the ball to Matisse Thibel out of an open dunk attempt, you know, uh, th- that's not what we're doing right now. We are, this is, we're animated because this is something we believe in very much fully. Okay. And not something we're going to, we're going to be backing down on anytime soon. Riley, take it away. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more with all that. And so I think, for me, this is something that I've thought for quite a long time is that there's an obvious trade out here. There's a, there's a trade partner with another situation that not, not quite as fundamentally broken because there's a really good culture there and they've had some really deep playoff runs. But I think the Portland Trailblazers are another situation where they have two star guys who, you know, I, I hate that we bring this always back to fit because it makes us sound reductive. But to me, like there's just not there's not a compliment between CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. As great as I think they both are individually, and as as well as I think they do play together, right? They they really have found a, a way to have success both individually and as a team construct. But I've always felt that their size in the backcourt fundamentally caps where they can be as a team. Because as as someone on Twitter that I follow who you know is a really funny funny guy has put it, there ain't no way to hide two small guards. And, and, you know, 6'3 is not tiny, but it's not big enough for, for those guys to, to keep up with the trends of the league, right? We're seeing bigger guards everywhere. We're seeing the Warriors have all the success with Clay Thompson, who's 6'7", playing shooting guard, right? Like you're seeing LeBron James be this massive point guard in some ways. You've seen Luka, you've seen KD, right? The league always prioritizes size, and it's, it's kind of swung back even harder in the, the last maybe year or two. And so I've, I've felt for years that, it would benefit both of these teams if they swap CJ, excuse me, CJ for, for Ben, because I think the shooting of Dame, right. The, the, the leadership, the, the less pressure, because I know Portland as much as it is a very, very passionate fan base, I don't think it's quite as a negative and quite as a demanding fan base as you might find in Philadelphia. There's not the reputation for slurs and, and whatever, and, you know, heckling that, that really reaches elite levels. Um, as you would find in Philly. And so I've just thought that that makes like such a perfect blend. You've got you know, this all defensive guy who can, who can take the best player on the other team, who is a really good passer and doesn't necessarily then have to create his own shot because you've got the dude who taps his wrist after he hits these bombs and, and really could take that situation. And then, you know, CJ really capable scorer, really capable shooter too. And I thought that, you know, him being a really well-established second option in the league and, and comfortable in that role would fit perfectly with Joel and B. What say you to this proposal? And clearly the situation has changed because Dame might be asking, he might not, and, and, and the value of, of uh, Simmons has dropped so far as to maybe even requiring them to give up something and try and get in CJ. But I don't know. I, are you on board with this? Have you, have you thought about it? Are there other places you could see that, it might be more beneficial. Yeah, I mean, this one is sort of the it's the obvious 
uh, go towards for people hopping onto the trade machine, trying to get Simmons out of Philly and trying to create something else uh, for Portland. And it really just depends on like what Portland's priority as a franchise is because Portland currently is near the top of the league in good vibes franchises. You know, they've had these two guys on their team for a long while, uh, homegrown stars and whatnot. And that was good enough for a while. Dame is their higher priority, though, and he has said that that is no longer good enough. He has said that the pursuit of championships is the most important thing to me. So if the franchise is now at the point where there's uh, sort of bowing to hashtag rings culture, you know, uh, rings only, and uh, all that sort of stuff, uh, then <laughs> at the very least, you, you've got to give it another try, you know, and be in contact with um be in contact with dame get all of his thoughts on it but you know like at the end of the day nothing risked nothing gained you know certainly i so i I guess then the the question maybe from the sixers perspective is we said they needed to tear it down is there a good strategy to going about this right like what is the prescription for, for trying to sell high? Like, what do you, do you want to target a young player? Do you want to target picks? Do you want to target older veterans? Like what, if you were in that position of, let's say Daryl Morey uh, at the beginning of last year, right? When, when Simmons value was a little bit easier to, to kind of imagine and, and a little bit more valuable around the league, what would you do? I mean, we've talked about like on, on this podcast in order to win the NBA championship, you need a top tier all NBA guy on your team. So in a, in a trade like this, your hope is to bring back, if you're trading an all NBA talent, your hope is to bring back another all NBA talent or bring back the opportunity to get that all NBA talent when first round picks or uh, otherwise. So it, it depends on, on the rest of your roster. It depends on the rest of your fire sale. Uh, I think it's such an interesting dichotomy because general managers, I think, and, and some of them have talked about this, like they pretty much would love the opportunity to have free reign and build their team from the bottom up, you know, get rid of all the expectations from things that they uh, have, have had in the past build through the draft and through free agency and through whatever good vibes they're able to put forward as a, as a franchise through that process. So I think general managers love that, but obviously star players don't love rebuilding and for, and fan bases don't always love rebuilding the process Sixers fans it being the, uh, the hinky acolytes being the total rarities. So, but of, of course, like, you can't make a trade for a hypothetical player. You have to make a trade for players that are available. You have to make a trade for the best player that's available. And sometimes even if CJ McCollum doesn't quite have the all NBA ceiling that Ben Simmons has a little bit of addition by subtraction is going to make this a better place. I do not like doc rivers and Joel Embiid quit on Simmons in their post-game pressers may probably taking his trade value even further, which maybe wasn't uh, the best move on 
yeah. on their parts. But uh, what what say you? What would you want to target? Yeah. So actually, I have I have what I think is like a, a perfect capper to this entire discussion because there's been this Reddit comment that I screenshotted. I don't know. Let's let's see what day what day it was. June twenty third. It was it was post playoffs, right? Um, or no, sorry, when we were deep in the middle of the playoffs, and I think the the Sixers were either losing or had just lost. And it really stuck with me as, as the best way to kind of sum up this whole thing. And it's an answer that nobody wants to hear, but I think it's a good one. And so the question that was posed was, I keep asking and no one can tell me who we trade Ben for that turns us into a contender. That was, that was a quote from a Sixers fan. And the response was poignant to me. I'm going to read it to you if you'll permit me. Uh, answer, uh, the, the user burned tendies. Uh, if you're out there and somehow listening, shout out to you. They said, quote, has it occurred to you that Ben is not good enough of a player to get you someone that will put you in contention? Like, the answer might be Ben's lack of development has fucked us. He stays and fucked us with mediocre players being offered in return. And I thought that was just, that was, that was a really sobering look for, for Sixers fans, but I thought it was, it was the right diagnosis, right? It's, it's the idea that, you know, if you're holding out hope of, of trading this guy for the all NBA player that you just mentioned, right? That, 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 that is totally reasonable to expect that you have to consider the possibility that that trade would just never come along. And in that case, then it's incumbent on the GM to, to pull the trigger on someone less than which, you know, you have to swallow your pride. You have to turn up your nose and, and, and deal with the, you know, the negative draft grade that you might get or the, the blowback. But I think what we are sort of sounds like we're coming to the consensus of is that, Action is better than inaction. And when, when the answer is not what you want to hear, that, that you know, maybe Ben Simmons is really just not that guy, that it's, that it's up to you to work with that new framework instead of holding out hope and holding out belief for this, this imagined ceiling that you thought might come along someday. Yeah. And the the team had the chance to maybe go all in on getting rid of a, a Tyrese Maxey uh, to get James Harden to partner him with Joel Embiid, and it didn't go through. And so sometimes a little bit of hubris on a franchise's part, because that's really what it comes down to is like Simmons was Philadelphia's guy, and that hubris got in the way of them making the correct deal. C.J. McCollum was Portland's guy, and that hubris uh, got in the way of them making a deal. And uh, championships are won and lost by who has hubris at the at the right time and the wrong time. So I think that's a, a great way to to end to end it, Riley. Well said. Nice, nice. Um, if you will permit me, I have a minutia minute for for just you know a capper of this podcast. If you want yeah. To wrap us up, wrap us up. All right. All right. So, so one thing that's very small and very insignificant, but I realized that this year's trade or uh, opening of the, the memorandum, what's the right word? Um, trade moratorium. Mor- trade moratorium. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, but this happened at 3 PM this year, as opposed to what it used to happen at 9 PM or midnight. And I thought, you know, that's somebody in the legal office being smart. And realizing that even if you can't commodify this situation, free agency and the trade deadlines and, and all of this stuff and the Woj bombs and the Shams reporting 
is the thing that drives the most traffic and interest in the league, like it or not, right? Like that's what rockets the, the popularity of the league, at least temporarily up, up the charts. And so I, I just appreciate that they took that into consideration and they are realizing, you know, how to maximize as, as an entertainment product, as an organization, and, and saving those of us who, who have to get up early or, or want to be distracted from work, right? Like giving us something in the middle of the day as opposed to in the middle of the night, how it used to be. Um, the counter to that is that they still haven't figured out how to do trades on draft night. They're still giving prospects the wrong hats. They're, the, you know, it's the, the classic Kobe was drafted by the, the Hornets, right? And everyone knew he wasn't going there, but we still get to make that dumb little, uh, you know, sassy response because technically it's true. And so while they have seemed to figure out some things, I think there are some parts that the league really should focus on getting, getting better because it's, it's an entertainment product at the end of the day. And the NFL has, has seemed to do this perfectly. And, and why can't we, right? That's, that's how I feel. I love it, man. I agree wholeheartedly. Fantastic. Well, uh, unless you have any final thoughts, I, feel like we should we should tie a bow on this whole thing um nolan do you have you have one final word um i i felt like we we had a, a good finale there with ben ben isn't great isn't the guy that they think he is and and they the hubris of this this team missed their moment okay cool well uh i guess that's it for us uh we really appreciate you tuning in to the hockey assist uh we we are really trying to stay on a regular schedule so you can expect our, our next episodes on any podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast, to be coming out in the middle of, of the week pretty regularly going forwards. Uh, we have a couple of exciting topics that I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into with Nolan going forward here. So stay tuned. You can always reach out to us at hockey underscore assist on Twitter by leaving a comment. And we hope you hear from you soon. So for Nolan Cope, I am Riley Gaucher. We are checking out of episode 19 of the Hockey Assist, I believe. Have a great week and, and see you next time.